We are going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. Again, I skipped through several chapters. I think you saw that I really combined a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff that I missed that I didn't... I just couldn't pick this thing apart verse by verse like we would do like maybe on a Wednesday night. Uh, we couldn't do that. I didn't feel like it was appropriate for Sunday morning. I, I'm really trying to just give you the overview, the, uh, the 100,000 feet view or however high people fly. I don't even know how high they fly. But um, I'm trying to give you that, that view that you can really just pick up the primary pieces in it. And I hope that you're beginning to uh, see that as we go through it. In the book of Isaiah, I want you to understand that it can really be split into two sections. So Isaiah chapter 1 through 39 would be the first section. And in this section, we get to see Isaiah prophesying the Word of God to the nation of Judah. And he is telling them that God's judgment is coming as a result of their rebellion against Him. He's going to use the Assyrian Empire, this uh, mighty, ruthless empire during this time that literally lays kings under his feet. And everywhere he goes, he conquers. And God says that the, the Assyrian Empire is the rod of his anger, the rod of his wrath. And he is using them to, to go through and to judge the world and ultimately to judge Israel, the northern kingdom, and even Judah, the southern kingdom. And then after them, God is going to use the Babylonian Empire to judge the Assyrian Empire. And we saw the sovereignty of God in this in chapters uh, 13 through 25, I believe it was. But basically God's telling all of these kings that you're all just pawns on my chessboard. Ultimately, I raise up kings and I set down kings. I raised up the Assyrian king. The Assyrian king thought that he was bigger than God as a result of what God was doing in his life. And after a certain time, guess what God did? He raised up the Babylonian empire and they come in and wiped out the Assyrian empire. And as a result of that, the Babylonians actually came in. God had protected Jerusalem, the southern capital, if you will. Judah is the city and, or the nation and Jerusalem is the city, the capital city of this nation. God had protected Jerusalem during a time of all the judgment around it and He saved a remnant of people. He allowed a remnant that He chose that He saved out of all of these people. And so whenever we get to Isaiah chapter 40, to Isaiah chapter 66, we get into the second half of the book. The first half focuses on Judah, him prophesying to them, the judgment on the nations, and him going to save a remnant, and he's going to one day bring them into his kingdom with his king, Jesus Christ, set up. All right, That's chapters 1 through 39. Chapters 40 through 66 are the second section of Isaiah. And it begins focusing on God's comfort to the Babylonian, um, I mean, not to the, to the Jewish exiles that have been carried off into Babylonian captivity. And so I'll show you just a few verses to, to, so that you understand where I'm coming from. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 9, God says, Ah, oh, sinful nation, and he's talking to Judah here. He says, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Would you say that these are the kind of people that they deserve the judgment of God, right? 
And we're the same way. All of us fall under this category, every one of us. But by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, even though they all deserved God's judgment, God gracefully and mercifully chose a remnant to save. He could have utterly wiped them all out, and you'll see that as we keep reading. But he says, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. And he says to them, why will you be struck down? In other words, you have a choice in this. Now it wasn't just the remnant, you have a choice in this. Why would you be struck down? You can hear the word of God and you can trust in Him by faith. So he says, why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint, from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it. What does that tell you about, is, about the, the nation of Israel? Who all is affected by this sin? <laughs> from the... From the sole of the foot all the way to the head, the whole body is sick. There is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out. So he's painting this image of this beat up, bruised man with sores all over him. This guy is near death, right? He's not going to make it much longer. And God says, why? Why would you do that? He said, they're not pressed out, they're not bound up, they're not softened with oil, it's just a mess. Your country lies desolate. In other words, the Syrian empire has come around and wiped out everybody around you. He said, in, they're burned with fire in your very presence. Foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion, here we're talking about Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard. You've got a whole vineyard and the only thing left there is a little bitty booth in the middle of it. And that's what he's saying here. Jerusalem, remnant, get it right. Repent, turn back around because mercy is still here. You're the only ones left. It's like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. And then in verse 9 he says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, what would have happened? We would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? All except a single family were wiped out, destroyed. Now listen, this is scary to me. You want to know why this is scary to me? Because the Bible tells us that wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And how many are going there? Many. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are they who find it. If the Lord had not left us, how many? A few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm here to tell you this morning that those of us in the room today that are born again, that are trusting in Jesus, that are following Him, that our hope is in Him, that we're trusting in the Lord and we're following our lives after Him, you are part of the few. The few. And so, if the Lord had not left us a few survivors, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, this thing is talking to the remnant, to the ones that are going to survive the judgment of God. Now look at the uh, same chapter, verse 25 through 28. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn my hand against you, and I'm going to smelt away your dross. And dross was the slag and stuff that if you were a, um, a, a, a refiner and you took gold or precious silver or some kind and put it in the refiner's fire, the stuff that would come to the top would be the dross, the stuff that is, is garbage. It ain't worth anything. 
And so he says, I am going to turn my hand against you. These are the saved people. These are the people. Now they deserve the wrath of God, right? They deserve the judgment of God. Everybody does. But he saves a few by his mercy and his grace. And so I'm going to turn my hand against you. And I am going to smelt away your draw. So why is God going to let you go through tough times? Because He's going to remove, He's going to bring to the surface the stuff that you treasure so much, the stuff that you put your hope in, the stuff that you follow, the stuff that are your false gods. And He brings that to the top in the fire. And He's going to wipe away the dross. And He says here, I'm going to do it as with lye. Lye was a very powerful cleaning agent. And I'm going to remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And then look at this. Zion shall be redeemed by justice. And those in her who do what? Who repent. Let me tell you something. There is a requirement for salvation. Repentance. That's the very first message ever preached by John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, for those who repent by righteousness, they are going to be redeemed. But, rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be what? Consumed. So here is the gist of Isaiah 1 through 39. Isaiah 1 through 39 is all about judgment is coming, it's going to destroy everything around you. I'm going to save a few. And even these few that I save, they are going to experience my discipline. They're going to experience hard times. And I'm going to bring out... So by the time we get to chapter 40, we have got the remnant. Not all of Judah, just the remnant. Now they are in the tough times. They're in Babylonian captivity. They've been carried away as slaves. They have, they have been beaten and bruised and they, they are in fear of their lives. They are scared to death. And so the second half of the book focuses on comforting them in the midst of these fiery trials. And he starts out in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. He starts out and he says, uh, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So he wants him to understand he's starting out and he's speaking to them in their tough times and he says, I want you to be comforted in your trials. I want you to understand that you can go through this thing with the comfort of God in your life. Judgment is ultimately going to come to an end. Jesus is coming and you are going to be able to trust Him and follow Him and be saved by Him. And again, we see that through 40 verse 2 through 8 if you wanted to read that for yourself. But Israel has this small view of God, right? They're in the middle of this and they have this small view of God. You remember that from last week? And so God has to begin to tell them again, this is who I am. You can trust me. You can put your faith in me. I am faithful. I am trustworthy. I am a lot bigger than you think I am. I can save you from any of this that I choose to save you from, but I am also going to do whatever is best for you, even if it hurts. Ain't that what we do as parents? I want to do everything I can for my child. I'll give him everything I've got. I'll give him my life. But I'm going to do and only give him whatever is best for him. And that is, if, if me being an evil human being has that kind of heart, how much more our Father in Heaven? 
And yet I know that my son can trust me. And I know that I can trust God, my Father. So that is what we get. We get this um, two sections. First section, judgment, coming judgment. A remnant's going to be saved. The kingdom is coming. Second section, 40 through 66, remnant, be comforted. And, and, and I'm going to speak to you to help you get through this time of where I'm smelting away all of the dross that comes to the surface. And that's what we're dealing with when we get into this second section right here. Now, in the middle of this, Isaiah chapter 41, I want you to notice in verse 8 through 10. In Isaiah 41, verse 8 through 10, he tells them, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen... The offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and I called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. Now remember, these are people that are God's servants. These are people that God has chosen. He chose these people. Alright? And then these are people that are the offspring of Abraham, God's friend. They are people that He took from the ends of the earth. So that means that it's not just people from Pulaski, Tennessee, is it? These, his remnant, his saved people come from all the ends of the earth. And he called them from their farthest corner. So these are people that are called. These are people that are chosen. These are people that are servants of God. And he says to them, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Because let me tell you something, there were a big majority of people all around them that had been cast off. They had been cast off. And we all deserve to be cast off as well, did we not? So don't be mad at God because He cast somebody else off because He could have cast you off. But guess what? He chose you. He called you. And that's something to praise Him for. Alright? And then notice what He does in verse 10. So he gives here an encouragement to the people in captivity and he gives a command and then he gives five promises on how you can trust him through this trial, through this time of discipline, through the, the fiery trials of life. He wants to give you five promises and five words of encouragement that will let you know it is going to be okay no matter how difficult a situation He puts you in. And let me tell you something. If you have not been in a difficult situation yet, as a Christian, get ready. Get ready. Because it is coming. The Apostle Paul told us in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did you catch that? If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to suffer persecution. And who would know that better than the Apostle Paul? He experienced it more than, than any of us in here, I believe. But I want you to understand something. The world is in opposition to God. The world hates God and the world hates God's ways. Just look around your culture today. What is the battle against in politics and everything else? It is against God's way and the people that do not want God's way. It's about I want what I want. Uh, and I'm not trying to be mean when I say this because I'm sympathetic toward our trials in life. But my body, my choice... That's what it's about. My happiness, my choice. Love is love, right? 
Don't matter where it comes from. And what that ultimately boils down to is, I don't want God telling me who I can love and who I can't love as far as my sexual emotion towards someone. I don't want God telling me um, that I can't um, kill something that lives and is growing inside of me. I should be able to make that decision for my own. And so this is what it boils down to is the world is always in opposition to God. And if you live godly in Christ Jesus, and if you decide to stand for God and His Word and not the world, then you are going to be in opposition to the world. There is no way around it. If you are friends with the world, you are an enemy of God. Did y'all catch that? If you are friends with the world, I know you don't mean to be, I know you don't think you are, but anybody that rejects the Word of God and says, I will not follow the Word of God, I will not trust the Word of God, if you would rather be faithful to the world, you are an enemy of God. Alright. And so basically, we are going to suffer persecution because of that reason, because the world hates God, the world hates His ways. Another reason is the devil asks for us when we are living faithful. You remember Job? The devil come and stood before God, and God said, Job, where you been? Or not Job, devil, where you been? What are you doing here? Well, I've been going to and fro the earth, seeking what? I'm seeking someone to devour. And God said, well, what do you think about my servant Job? And I know a lot of times we think to ourselves, God, why? Why? God knows what he's doing. God knew that Job had some dross that needed to be melted away. God knew that Job was faithful. Job was a good, godly person. But there were things in his life that needed to be melted away. And as a result of that, God said, Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, yeah, I've been watching him, but I can't get to him because you have a hedge of protection around him. But I tell you what, you remove that hedge of protection and you let me get him, he'll curse you to your face. The only reason he follows you is because you've blessed him with this and this and this. And God said, Okay, you can do this, but you can't do this. In other words, I'm going to let you test him to the point that it brings up the stuff, the dross, the things that don't belong, but I'm not going to let you take his life. I'm not going to let you take it this far, all right? And so I'm going to let you do this and this and this. Have you ever sit back and just thank God for the things he said no to the devil for in your life? Job lost a lot, didn't he? But you know, Job didn't know the things that, that God had told the devil, no, you can't do. You think you've been through some trials? You ever sit back and thought about what God said you can't, He can't do to you? <clears throat> so anyway, we go through trials sometimes because the devil asks for us. Peter was the same way. Uh, Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. In other words, he's going to let him get you so far, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. It's always going to work out for your good. And then God sometimes disciplines His children with fiery trials to bring us back from wondering and to cause us to rely completely on Him. Because too many times in this world, you and I get too reliant on all the things that are around us in the world. That's just the truth. And the Bible says if you are without discipline, and yet you need discipline, maybe He ain't your father. That's the truth. 
Maybe you get away with all that you do and you can live however you want to live and, live and there is no, there's no discipline for it and there's no trials and everything is hunky-dory. Uh, let me tell you something. It could be that possibly God is not your father because if you need discipline and He's your father, let me tell you what a good father is going to do. He's going to discipline and so there are many reasons why living godly in Christ Jesus will lead us to be persecuted. And so I want you to understand that God is not going to let us as His remnant, as His saved, just continue in worldly ways. He is going to take this sinful heart of ours and it's going to hurt. You remember what He let Peter do? Peter cursed Jesus three times to the point that he wept, went off and just wept bitterly at what He had done, at what, where He was at. And it took the risen Savior coming back to Jesus to bring Him back, coming back to Peter to bring Him back. And so we can get ourselves in some messes, in some places, in some fiery trials. Look at Psalm chapter 119, verse 67. The psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, what did he do? Before I was afflicted, I was going in a wrong way. But now, because of what? Affliction. Because of the discipline. Because of what God has done. Now I keep your word. In other words, now I have been drawn back to you. And so there are many times that fiery trials come as a result of God bringing us back from our wandering. And these sufferings and trials, how many of you know these sufferings and trials will cause us much fear? Cause us much uncertainty? You ever been through a trial and you think, I don't, even know, I don't even know where to go from here. I don't even know what to do. Causes us much anxiety, right? So I want you to put yourself, if you can, in the shoes of the remnant right now, in the shoes of Judah. And I want you to understand where they are mentally. Now remember what they said back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse, um, verse 27. In Isaiah 40, 27, this is, what, this is what they said. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And here's what they say. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So what has the trial and the anxiety done in their life? They say, well, God don't even, He's not even making my path anymore. He's took His eyes off me. My way is hidden from Him. Um, he's not going to get justice for me. God don't care about me, basically, right? You ever felt that way in a trial before? God don't care about me. And God says, why do you say that? Go to the next verse. He said, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. And he does not faint. In other words, he has not took his eyes off of you. Come on, y'all, stay with me. He has not took his eyes off of you. He don't faint. And he does not grow weary. He is not without strength to deliver you. You say, why, why God, didn't you deliver Judah from this? Why didn't you stop the Babylonians from coming in and taking them off? And why do they have to go through this? And you, you're not keeping your eye on us, God. You're not protecting us. You're not, you're not watching over us anymore. He said, have you not heard? Do you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint. He does not grow weary. And his understanding is what? 
He knows things about you and about what you need in your life for eternal sake that you don't know. And instead of him fainting or growing weary, guess what he does? He gives power to the faint. And that's what he's fixing to do, alright? He's fixing to give power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Again, he's talking to the remnant. They're scared. They're uncertain. They don't know what the future is. Their way is hidden from God. They have no clue what they're going to do. And he says, listen, even youths shall faint. Even the youngest, strongest men among you will faint. Anybody ever watch the Navy SEALs? You know what they do? They push them to the point till they do faint, right? They find where that breaking point is. Even the youngest and the strongest faint and grow weary. The young men shall fall exhausted, but they who do what? Wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. If you wait on the Lord in the midst of your trial, if you wait on the Lord in the midst of your, 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 your suffering and the discipline, you will renew your strength. Why? Because He gives power to the faint. He gives increase of strength to those that are without it. And they'll renew their strength. They're going to mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so this leads us into 41 and the promises. All right? So the promise is this. Let's first off look at the command. Because I don't have time to tell you everything about 41 that I want to tell you. But let's look at the command. So in verse 10, I want you to notice what is the command in, in Isaiah 41 verse 10. Here's the command to the remnant. God steps up and He says, Do not fear. Now let me tell you something. Imagine this morning that you are on the Titanic. And the Titanic has just hit an iceberg. The ship is going down, folks. And the captain gets on the intercom and says, Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Do not fear. What does that do for you? Did that command do anything to comfort you? Okay, but now that captain of that ship, I mean, this guy's a good guy. Man, he's a good guy. He, you've ate dinner with him in the, in the big restaurant in there. You've, you've really had your time with the cruise, okay? And so this captain is a great guy. And then he says, hey, by the way, here's the reason why I don't want you to fear. Hey, guys, I'm with you. I'm with you. You say, I don't care. It don't mean nothing that you are with me. But then he says, hey, don't be dismayed. In other words, don't be anxious and don't let your heart be troubled. And so there's the same command. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed and anxious. And he says, and here's why. Because, hey, um, I'm the captain of the ship. Is that doing anything for you yet? Nothing. Okay, then he says, hey, by the way, I'll strengthen you. That don't do anything. I will help you. What are you going to do? There's a life jacket underneath everybody's seat. Reach under there and pull. He says, I will uphold you with my righteous right. Here's the point. Anybody else that says this to you in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering, anybody else that says, hey, don't fear, don't be dismayed, anybody else that says that? Don't do anything to help you at all. But if the one that commands you to fear 
also has all the power to be with you wherever you are, to be your God, to strengthen you, to help you, to uphold you. If He has the power to do that, does that help you? It should. And that's the point. The point is... God's children, the saved, the remnant, the ones He's chosen, the ones He's called. And that's important, the ones that are the friends of Abraham, because we have to answer the question, who is this for? So let's take a look at a few of these. Um, look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3. And let's see who these people are. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So why did God save Abraham? He believed God and God accredited it to him as righteousness. All right, let's look at another verse. Look with me at Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Paul's talking about all the Jews that were lost. He said, listen, the Jews are the ones that are supposed to be saved, but they're not trusted in Jesus. And Paul says, listen, it's not as though the word of God has failed. And here's why. Because not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, just because you are a physical seed of Abraham don't mean that you are physically a Jew or a, spiritually a Jew. And instead, not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. So who are the offspring of Abraham? You and I. You and I are true Jews inwardly. Not physical Jews, but true children of God inwardly. Look at another, um, look at another verse with me. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then one more, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of... Am I making my point yet? Here's the thing. These promises do not apply to everybody. See, if you're going through a tough time in this world, God may not be saying to you, do not fear. Matter of fact, fear may be the very thing you need to experience. Fear of His judgment. But if you are offspring of Abraham if you belong to Christ, if you are called into Jesus Christ, if you are chosen in Jesus Christ, if you are God's servant in Jesus Christ, then these promises are for you. And so when you go through your darkest times, your trials, the, 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 the fiery trials of this world, these are prom this is a command that applies to you. Here's the command, you can go through every fiery trial and not fear. You can go through it and not be dismayed and be anxious and uncertain of life. But instead, you can go through these fiery trials knowing that God has said, do not fear, and He's going to give you the power and what you need to follow the command. The captain of the Titanic can't do that. God can and so, let's take a look at what the promises are. That uh, First off, let's see this. I, I went over it last week just a little bit. You saw who the people are that this promise applies to, but who is this God 
that says he's with them because that's what they got to figure out. Remember, their view of God was wrong. If they still keep this small view of God and God says, hey, I'm with you, but they got this small view of God, guess what? That don't bring no comfort to them. But if their view increases, so if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 and 12 again, you'll look real quick and you see his loving care. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then if you were to look at verse 12, he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, in a teaspoon, and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. And then in verse um, 13 through 14, he says, Who um, has measured the Spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who has made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? So in other words, he is the wisest person you've ever seen. He's the most loving person you've ever seen. He's the biggest God you have ever seen. He knows every star by name. Um, he is above all. Uh, and all this is found in chapter 40. I'm not going to go through all of them. He is the everlasting creator of everything. He's the one that everyone in the world answers to and gives account to. He is the, the sovereign ruler over all kings and all people. This is the God that says to you, Do not fear. So the question is, do you trust this God? If you trust that this God is faithful to His Word, is trustworthy, then you can go through every fiery trial and not fear and not be dismayed and not be anxious and uncertain in life. So let's look real quickly at the promises. We've got five of them. And i got 15 minutes. So, the promises of God. Number one, I am with you. Judah has been carried off into Babylonian captivity. They are in a fiery, fiery trial. And yet he says to them, I am with you. This is God the sovereign, the supreme. He is in the fire with you. He didn't just send them off and then turned His back. He didn't send them off and forget who they were. He is with them in the fire. You remember the old story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, O king... We will not bow down to your God. Our God is able to save us from you and your fiery furnace. But even if He don't, let it be known to you that we will not bow and we will not worship your God. And into the fiery furnace they went and God allowed it. But guess what happened in the midst of that fiery furnace? He was in there with them. He was with them. God promises that wherever you are, wherever you go, I will be with you. And what does it mean when somebody's with you?
They walk with you. They're beside you. They hand in hand. They are with you. When I look at you and I say, I'm with you, brother. That means I am in this together with you. And God makes a promise. I am with you. I know you're scared. I know you're uncertain. Get rid of it. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. And so that's the first promise. Now listen, in a sense, we know that God is everywhere, right? So in a sense, we can say that God is sort of with everybody, but not in this sense. Because God is not with sinners as far as unsaved sinners. God is not in fellowship and walking through with, um, with the, the evil of the world. He may be everywhere, yes, and He is not far from each one of us, yet He is literally with us, and because of Jesus Christ, dwells in us. Dwells in us. And so He says here, I am with you. And if God is with you, and God is for you, what does Paul say? And listen, this was Paul that had been through beatings, that had been threatened in his life. He'd been in prison. He had been in shipwrecks. He had been at go on and on and on and on. And yet, his, his thought process through all of it is, listen, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? You think Paul just came up with that on his own? No, Paul is probably most likely thinking about this promise right here. God is with me. You want to know how Paul was able to keep going through all the struggles and all the trials and everything he faced, and yet he got back up and just kept going because God was with him. God was with him, and he believed it, and he trusted it. And then let's look at the second promise. Notice not only is God with him, but he says here, Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. Now listen, what does it mean for something or someone to be your God? It means they have power over you, right? They have control over all the events that take place in your life. And so he says here, I am your God. And so in this day and time, they had gods for war, they had gods for fertility, they had gods for um, crops, gods for rain, gods, uh, they had gods for everything. Why? Because they attributed the power over their lives to something greater than them. God says, I am your God. In other words, I am the one that has full power and full control over every event that takes place in your life. So don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. No matter what happens, no matter what comes. You pick yourself up and you keep trusting me because I am with you and I am your God. And if I'm with you and I'm your God and I'm the most loving and I'm the most patient and I'm the, most, and I'm the supreme and I'm all these things, if that is true, then there is nothing that is going to take place in your life that I have not already sovereignly planned and I have not already sovereignly designed to make sure that it will always work out for your good. For eternal things. I am with you. I am your God. Look at the next promise. I will strengthen you. 
Remember, these people, they ain't got no strength. <laughs> they ain't got no strength. Their fight is over. They're done. They are, they are weak. You ever been in a, fire, a trial so fiery that you got nothing left? I don't have anything left. I have no fight left in me. And he says here, I'll strengthen you. I will give you the strength to do it. And so we need to understand, uh, uh, one of the places we saw that, again, I told you about the Apostle Paul, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul, in the end of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, had done told them about all the sufferings that he had endured. But then he talks to them about this thorn in his flesh that God had allowed him to have. And he says here, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It is when you are the weakest, and yet somewhere, somehow, you're still able to get up and go. You know, Paul had just been stoned in Lystra whenever um, he, he got up, they were left him for dead, and he got up and he goes right back into the cities where he was stoned at, and he strengthens and encourages the disciples, and he says to them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of heaven. How does a man get up from being stoned, and they left him because they thought he was dead? And he gets up, and he goes and he preaches his sermon the next day. Where do you get that strength? How do you do that? Listen to what he said. My grace is sufficient for you. God gave him grace, undeserved mercy, undeserved strength. Paul didn't deserve it, but God kept giving grace for every event that he needed grace in. And how many of you know that's what God does for you? He keeps giving grace. He keeps giving grace. And Paul said, this is what God said to me, my grace is sufficient. What does it mean when something is sufficient? It's enough. All you need is the grace of God given to you daily. Day after day after day. And he said, it's sufficient for you. Why? Because my power, whose power? God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Because should Paul have been able to get up after being stoned and go encourage Christians? No. He should have went to the hospital. That's not what he done. Where did that come from? The grace of God. The strength of God. The sufficiency of God. How do you get up? How do you keep going? How do you do anything you do after a fiery trial or in the middle of a fiery trial? God strengthens you. God promises, I will strengthen you. And therefore, look what Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of what? My weaknesses. I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, that's when He's the strongest. That's when His strength is displayed in me the most. And then look at verse 11. I may not give you that one. Don't worry about it. I, I need to go on anyway. All right, so, through suffering... We are broken down through suffering. We are humbled. God drives us to Him and Him alone for our strength. And as we rely on Him like Paul did in our weakness, He is strong. You hear people say all the time, I am strong and I am this and I am that. Can I tell you something? No, you're not. No, you're not. You are weak. Matter of fact, He calls Jacob in this a worm. 
worm. You know why? Because Jacob can't do nothing. And you and I can't do anything. But in our weakness, when we rely on Him, we can do everything. We can do anything. And then finally, let me go through the last two very quickly. He says, um, I will help you. He'll give you what you need to sustain your faith and to make it through. God doesn't just encourage you to fight and then sit back and say, All right, I'm going to watch you do it. No, He says, I will help you. I will help you through this trial. I will give you exactly what you need. I'm with you. I'm holding your hand through it. I'm walking with you through it. He comes alongside of you and He helps you. And then the last promise, um, I will uphold you. What does it mean to uphold something? Keeps it standing, don't He? How many of you felt like when you went through the trial that you ain't got no strength to stand? And yet He says here, I will uphold you. I will keep you standing. There ain't, but if you're still standing, there ain't but one reason. There ain't but one reason. He says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so in the fiery trials, we're tempted to think we can't make it and there's no way I'll ever get through and, and, and I, I think my way is hidden from God and I'm scared and I'm uncertain in life and I don't know where to turn and I just, I, I, you just all twist it up. Y'all been there? There's a command to God's chosen. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because I'm with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you by, your, by my righteous right hand. So, in closing, as a child of God with a sinful heart in a sinful world, we are going to suffer fiery trials, great persecution. Don't you think for one second that when something bad happens in your life that God's just forgotten you? No. If you're chosen, if you're called, if you're in Christ, you're His. And He's not forgotten you. So don't you think for one second that, that He's took His eyes off or that He's fainted or that He's lost strength. No, He is still bigger than all of our problems even if He allows us to go through them. But He commands us not to fear. And so what's our part? What's our part in this? What do I do? How do I claim these promises? What do I, what do I, what do I need to put on to make sure that, that I can walk in this? There ain't but one answer. Faith. You believe God. You take Him at His word. You say, well, that don't make sense. Let me tell you something. You want to know how man fell out of fellowship with God? You want to know why God is not with man? Why God is not strengthening man? Why God is not upholding man? You want to know why God is not in fellowship with man? Because man didn't trust His Word. You remember what God said to Adam and Eve? He said, every tree in the garden you may eat from except one, for in the day you eat of it you will die. And you remember what the devil did? The devil come in there and he put God's Word at the task. He threw some shade on God's Word. He said, has God really said, that's not true. God just don't want this. So you see what happened? They have two choices. They either have to believe God or they have to believe the lie that's being fed to them. Which one did they believe? They believed the lie. Instead of trusting that God is faithful, trustworthy, that he can be trusted. They believed the lie and they went this direction. 
So what do we do to get back in fellowship with God? When God makes us a promise, we believe it. We trust it. This is the reason why you're saved by faith. See, faith, salvation don't make sense to us, does it? Surely I've got to actually work and do my part and surely I've got to be good enough to get salvation. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says that those who confess Him as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, what will happen? They will be saved. That don't make no sense because God demands that you trust Him by faith. Why? Because He's trustworthy. Because He's faithful. And so, what is our part in these promises? Well, there's really two parts you have. The first part, make sure you're called. What did Apostle Peter say? Make your call and election sure. Know that you know. How do I know that? You're to see the evidence of change in your life. You're to see the evidence. Go back and read where Peter said that. He just went down a growth chart. Add this to your faith. Add this to your knowledge. Add this to your self-control. Add this. For if you do these things and they are abounding in you, you can make your call and your election sure. Why? Because you see the evidence of Christ in your life. Do you see the evidence of Christ in your life? Do you see the hatred for sin in your heart and the desire for godliness? And do you see the battle raging inside of you? And if you don't, if you are content in the world and content in rebellion against God, can I tell you that your call is not sure? So the first thing you have to do is make sure that your call and your election is sure. And if it's not, today is the day that you confess Him as Lord, the supreme ruler, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead to give you new life. And if you will put your faith and your trust in that, God promises you will be saved and you will be a new creation. And then the second part, believe His promises. When you're in your fiery trial, do you believe that God is with you? Do you understand that He says to you, I am your God. In other words, you belong to Him. Do you believe that? In your lack of strength and when you're fainting and you just can't go, do you believe that He will help you? Do you believe that He will strengthen you? Do you believe that when you can't stand that He will uphold you with His righteous right hand? Because if you do, you will say with the Apostle Paul, His grace is sufficient. And I will gladly boast in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, He is strong.